Hey guys, welcome to the shit show of my 20s. I'm so excited that you guys are here. My name's Sophia. I started this podcast in the beginning of April and I got furloughed at the end of March. And quite honestly, it was so hard for me to comprehend and deal with that. I was like, I have two choices right now. I can start the podcast that I've always wanted to start or I can let this really deter me and start emotional eating and just sit on the couch and do nothing. And I decided to go with the first choice. And I'm so glad that I did because I've got to meet so many inspiring people from all over the world. And I hope that you guys see yourselves in some of these stories because I've just been having so much fun. This has been lighting me up so much. And I'm really glad that I put myself out there and decided to start it. You know, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to start it. And I'm so glad that I just did that. And I know as an introvert, it's been pretty hard to like put myself out there, talk in front of a camera, talk to all these people I don't know. But I feel like this has been such a growing experience for me. And I feel like I need to share that with you guys because maybe there's something in your life that excites you but kind of scares you at the same time. And maybe it's time to step into that. Hey guys, today's guest is Holly. I had so much fun chatting with her. She's a therapist from Arizona. We go into her story, how she got into therapy, when's a good time to see a therapist, things we should consider when we're looking for our therapist, different forms of therapy, and so much more. So I hope you guys enjoy listening. Awesome. So thank you so much, Holly, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your story. Tell me about you and what your stories look like so far. Well, thank you for having me. First of all, I love, love the name of your podcast. That's initially what drew me to it. It was so real. It was so authentic. So um, thank you for creating this, this holding space for myself and all the other people. Um, So a little bit about myself. Um, So I'm Holly Esler. I am a mental health therapist, um, owner of Empowering Youth Therapy here in um, Phoenix. My practice is located in Tempe. Um, I am originally from North Dakota. I grew up there. I lived there for about 28 years of my life. My husband and I moved down, um, here to Phoenix about two years ago. Um, I am from a small town. So North Dakota, um, Living in a small town, I was always ready to just, just to get out. I just wanted to explore. I wanted to travel. So right away when I was 18, um, you know, going to college, I went to college at the University of North Dakota, and I did my graduate and my undergraduate degree there in social work. So um, I was just, I was between internships, um, school, I was in a sorority, so I was having to learn at a very young age how to deal with a lot of different personalities and, you know, situations that came up. But also um, that gave me an opportunity to really see how strong and supportive women can be at the same time. I had such a great experience with, um, you know, the girls in the house and, um, you know, that that really kind of helped me along um, in my journey, which I'll share, you know, even more of two down – down the road here. So being in social work and having my degree in social work, I worked in so many different, um, settings. Like my, 
early mid twenties, it was kind of looking back. I'm like, how did I do all of that? Cause they were pretty high stress jobs. Um, my first job right out of college was working as a case manager in a hospital. So I would, um, work on different floors, depending kind of like where they needed me. I was kind of like a float. Um, so I'd work in the oncology department. I'd work in the NICU, maybe just in like the general hospital floor. Um, and I would work with, uh, patients who were discharging from the hospital, whether they needed some type of home care service assistance, um, programs, you know, things like that. So that was pretty, pretty high stress at times too. It's very fast paced. Um, I transitioned then into working for a treatment foster care agency. So it was foster care, but treatment level, meaning these kids had a diagnosis, whether it was mental or physical, they needed more case management, more help surrounding, um, surrounding their case. So I worked there for about two years and it had me kind of look a little bit into therapy in a different way. I would take them to appointments at times we would consult with a therapist, psychologist, and it gave me such big insight that there's just so much more, something deeper going on. And for myself, I wanted to help, but I, one, didn't have the degree and two, you know, I, I didn't know how. So I knew going back to school was something I'd have to do in order to, um, to be in that position. So I, went back to graduate school, um, to, to, to focus on clinical therapy, had an internship. And then from there, I worked in a outpatient government setting back home in my home, um, my hometown. And we were serving the surrounding eight counties in North Dakota. So it was a broad range of clients. It was anybody and everybody, anything from, you know, kids to addiction to just general, you know, diagnoses. So it helped me look at just where not only was my niche, but the clients I enjoyed working with where um, I had the, the good therapeutic connection, but it gave me such good experience, especially in just like crises counseling. So as much as I enjoyed working there and it gave me um, really good experience is it was hard to really kind of just focus on treating the person as a whole. At times I felt like, you know, in these government settings or, you know, maybe even in um, corporate America, fitting somebody into a box and treating them that way. And I had a really hard time doing that because not everybody works that way. Not every intervention is going to work for you know, this specific person. So I had kind of a tough time, um, with that. And I think that even at that time, you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, I want to go into private practice. I want to do this on my own. I have this vision, but how do I make it happen? So within that time frame, um, my husband and I, we were looking to get outside of North Dakota, not only just for like career development, personal development, but we both love to travel. We've been down here before. Um, you know, his job had opportunities where we could go to a few different locations in the U S and I was fingers crossed that it was going to be Phoenix because, um, anybody that has ever visited or lived in the Midwest in wintertime knows that it is (laughs) absolutely terrible. Um, so we, I wanted to be somewhere warm. Um, so we, we, 
he got the job. We moved down here, like I said, two, uh, about two years ago. And I opened my private practice in late 2018. And it has grown so much since then. And what's your favorite part of being a therapist? Um, my favorite part, I just, one, just seeing the growth of clients, um, you know, when they initially come in and that, that growth can happen in a few sessions or it might take a little bit longer depending on the client, but seeing that growth and knowing that although I might give them some tools in our session, so much happens outside of the session. So these are things that they're doing on their own without, you know, without me, you know, there, um, but celebrating those successes and having them come back and, and share that. It's just, I, I just love seeing them thrive. I love seeing how far people can, um, you know, progress just by putting themselves um, first by, by taking self-care seriously and just really when you focus on your mental health, physically things happen. And I, I just love seeing the progress. And how do you know when it's time to go to therapy? Um, I feel like signs might be when maybe you just don't feel like yourself. Um, whether it's, you maybe had something happen and it's just really hard to shake that experience or, um, you're finding that it's hard to concentrate or maybe you feel like your emotions are really kind of like taking over. Um, it could be things, maybe you used to do things you enjoy and those things won't bring you joy anymore. Um, you know, therapy can just be something, whether it's concrete coping skills, helping you really process maybe something traumatic that did happen. Um, or if it's just you wanting to kind of, live, I guess, live as the best version of yourself. So, you know, signs can sometimes come not only from you, but maybe even other people. You know, I hear that a lot too from some, some people, as they say, somebody's told me that they just seem a little bit down. Um, so it might do some inner work, kind of turning that inwards as far as what that might look like for them. And how do you get over like the stigma from like your family or other people saying, oh, if you go to therapy, there must be something wrong with you or something like that. Yeah. Um, one, you know, the, the stigma is out there. It's, it's been there. And I think we are only like getting to the tip of the iceberg when we talk about mental health, even in the last few years. Um, I think the conversations, whether it's more in the media or having, whether it's a celebrity or high profile figure, you know, somebody opening up and sharing that, Hey, I've gone to therapy or I have a diagnosis, something like that. I think that's helped. Um, but like I said, it's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, I feel like the stigma comes from you have to have it all together, right? So if you're, if you're going to therapy, that means that something, you know, is wrong or I'm weak or, um, I hate this, you know, word, but you know, I'm, I'm crazy. And that's not the case. So going to therapy um, or kind of maybe even telling somebody, if you're explaining that to somebody would be, I am prioritizing myself. I want to live as the best version of me. I want to figure out some things. Um, you know, again, too, I mentioned before, it's similar to self-care that you are giving yourself 
an hour, whether it's every week, every other week, something like that to where it's like, I'm giving myself this time to process something, to figure out what to do with these feelings, to live as the best version of me. So, you know, I, I, I think that stigma definitely is there. However, it's just kind of how you approach it. I think most people, loved ones, friends, I mean, if they don't understand, maybe it's just explaining that to them to say, I just want to be me again, right? So that can really be um, maybe a way to approach that stigma. And what does like a first session look like? Yeah, so generally um, beforehand we would have had whether a phone consultation, um, we would have maybe met in person for a consultation um, or email back and forth for information and such. So what that first session would look like, because I have all their intake paperwork, so we have an idea as far as you know, what goals are they wanting to accomplish, what concerns are they coming in with. Um, that initial session is us just really getting to know each other better. Um, First, you know, I start off with, of course, my informed consent with all my clients, which is the confidentiality. We go over what that looks like. So, of course, you know, with HIPAA, I say, you know, what, what said here stays here. You know, I don't share any of this information with anybody um, unless it was to um, me feeling like the client is putting themselves at harm or someone else is the only time that I would break that confidentiality. But I think starting with that, I've seen people almost just physically kind of like relax a little bit because they're like, wow, okay, this is a safe space. So really starting off with that um, confidentiality piece just creates, like I said, that safe space for them. But it's, it's me then kind of turning it over to them to say, you know, what, what are you hoping to get out of this process? How can I help? Um, You know, what are your goals? And, And we just kind of run through things and talk about, um, you know, history of some of their concerns. Um, you know, we go into a little bit of, you know, if they have any, you know, physical things going on or, um, you know, any type of underlying, you know, issues, anything like that. But we try and cover the whole like biopsychosocial assessment in that um, initial visit. We also then, um, kind of transition towards the end into what's called a treatment plan. So that's looking at um, concrete goals that we will um, talk about, talk about objectives, um, what type of interventions I'm open to them to, to say, hey, I think this is kind of what we can do as a, as a plan. What are your thoughts about that? Um, and really just kind of involving them as much as I can in that treatment plan process, because at the end of the day, the day these are their sessions. So I think by by doing that too, they feel very much so like I'm a part of this. This isn't somebody telling me what I should do. This is me, you know, being a teammate um, and me really just guiding them through that process. And do you have any tips for like how to find a good therapist that would be a good match for you or things you think people should keep in mind before they start looking at different therapists? Yeah. Um, you know, definitely take advantage of any free consultations that they have, whether that's in person, most I would, you know, hope and think would offer a uh, phone consultation. So that gives you the opportunity to ask any questions to kind of feel out if you would be a good fit with that therapist. Um, if you feel like they're, they're not, there's, there's others out there. 
Um, and I think questions might be something as far as if you're coming in with a specific concern, is that something that they specialize in? Or um, if you maybe have, whether it's had therapy in the past, or maybe you have a specific uh, treatment modality that you'd like to use, hey, are you trained in CBT? Are you trained in DBT? Um, you know, asking questions like that too. Um, and then as far as, you know, I guess financials might come down to it. Um, you know, do they take your insurance or they private pay, you know, do they accept HSA, FFA, you know, those kinds of things. Um, that's just, you know, more of the logistics of it, but all, you know, I, I told every, you know, client on a consultation, I said, no question is too, you know, uh, too much because I had one person say just, I just wanted to hear your voice and make sure that you know it was something and, and somebody that I could feel safe with. Um, so sometimes it's really just like the jitters that they want to get out. The hardest part is making that initial phone call. Um, and then from there after, I think once they feel comfortable um, and they feel heard and understood, then that initial in-person session is a lot, um, a lot more comfortable. They feel more safe and just more ready. So that phone consultation can help a lot with some of the anxieties before the actual in-person session. What do you do to really hold space for your clients to make them feel comfortable with you? Yeah, um, I never want them to feel pushed. Um, I understand that this process, even if somebody has been through it before, um, is is somewhat anxiety provoking, especially if it's a new therapist. I mean, you know, your, your expectations, I'm sh sharing so much with this person that I just met, right. Or I talked on the phone briefly for, so holding space for them is just creating a non-judgmental uh, place where they feel like they can say whatever, and no one is going to, you know, judge them on that. That's not my place. My place is to help guide them to, you know, what are you wanting out of this process? Um, I, you know, I think just to being authentic, you know, with my clients is we, you know, laugh in the sessions, we can use humor, we, you know, um, I, I, I love when they tell me more than just the negatives, the positives, we celebrate the successes. So I think the approach that I've taken and why I think people feel so comfortable, at least just with myself, is that I think they get a feel that I genuinely care about them. It's not so much of just a cold, um, you know, if you've ever gone to probably a, a doctor's appointment, you know, it's in and out. Here's my issue. Here's what you need to do. And, and we'll see you, you know, when you feel better, that's not the case at all. So I think just being warm, being kind, being authentic, but genuinely, I think the vibe and feeling like we are in this together. And how do you let go of judgment? Um, letting go of judgment, that is something in schooling. So in grad school and, you know, undergrad too, that they teach you to really look at, like, even ahead of time, if you have a bias or you, you know, we're, we're still human at the same time too. If you have a bias, that's something that you need to kind of like turn your, turn inward yourself. Why is this specific thing? whether either it's coming up or an emotion or something like getting curious as to why is this something that is concerning to me or bothering me. Um, but that non-judgmental comes from a place of, 
of what is my role? You know, my role as a therapist isn't to judge them. My role is to help them figure out um, maybe why do they feel like others might judge them on this or, you know, kind of ask some of those deeper questions. So I, others might struggle with it more than not, but I think for myself, it's just being a very open and accepting person. Um, I haven't had too many, you know, too many issues with that. So I would tell anybody if they do feel judged by their therapist, then that's probably not a good sign. And maybe you should find a different one because that's never going to be a really good therapeutic connection. If you feel like you can't wholly just say something, um, you know, without some kind of reaction. And have you ever had, um, a problem of like being very judgmental on yourself or have you been able to get rid of that too? Um, no, I am, I am human. I am a recovering perfectionist (laughs) and I am very much so open about that too on my, um, social media and on my page, because I do treat a lot of people with underlying, um, of course we're very critical. We are our own worst critics. So I'm, I'm open about that too, that, you know, being very critical on ourselves and hard on ourselves is um, what we do as humans. It's not always the best, you know, route. It's not healthy, but yeah, definitely for myself, I've struggled on and off with the should'ves, the could'ves, the would'ves, um, the what-ifs, those kinds of things. So that's something, um, again, that I, I have a saying, you know, human first, therapist second, you know, we are still humans and we have our flaws and we have our shortcomings. Um, and, and yeah, we're, we're human too. And what do you specialize in? So I specialize in, um, anxiety, depression, trauma, PTSD, um, grief, you know, life changes and, and career school stress, um, perfectionism that aligns, you know, a lot with some of the anxiety traits too, that I see. So those would be my main um, and primary focuses of diagnoses that I treat. As far as ages, um, I treat male, uh, female, so women, men, ages 13 on up. Um, I don't really have an age cutoff, but um, yep, so 13 on up, male, female is who I see in my practice. And what type of modalities do you use on them? Yeah, so I have a few different ones. The first one that is more, um, I guess, kind of specific to my practice, hence, you know, the name Empowering You, therapy is an empowerment approach. So I really use a strength-based and skill-based approach to um, have that client look at, okay, I'm coming in, although with concerns, I still have strengths Um that I'm bringing into the session. So we really look at what are those and how can we use those in reaching your goal? Um, Again, because we are our own toughest critic, it might be looking at what are some of the strengths. I have a question on my intake paperwork that has list off five strengths. And sometimes not everybody fills, fills that out. They find it's really hard to talk nice about themselves. So I use that um, approach, like I said, in integrating that into working towards their goals, because there's always something that, um, you know, someone's bringing to the table that they're doing well and that they're doing right. And we use that in um, in our sessions. The second one that I use is um, cognitive behavioral therapy. So CBT. 
And that's really going to be slowing down our thought process. So looking at what are my thoughts, what are my feelings, and what is the action or the behavior that follows that, really slowing that down and giving us a sense of control over those um, thoughts, feelings, and actions. Um, We might be challenging some of those negative thoughts. It's really kind of putting a, a more positive, more realistic spin on um, maybe the narrative at times that we are telling ourselves in our in our head. Um, I use a trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, so that's specific to um, a traumatic situation that somebody may have gone through. We focus just solely on that situation itself while giving them coping skills um, that will help them um, when they're feeling maybe triggered by, by that trauma. Um, the third one is DBT, so it's dialectical behavioral therapy. This one is more common. Um, Lady Gaga speaks so highly of DBT. Um, she um, talks a lot about it's it's a mindful um, approach. So it, it mindfulness comes from like uh, Buddhism. So it's being present in the moment and really only looking at what do we have control over not thinking about the past or the present, but the only things that we do have control over are in the here and the now. So it also has other uh, types of um, interventions that they might use something like wise mind. So it's finding a connection between we have reasonable mind, which is more like intellectual and factual based, right? Is how we think. And then we have our emotional mind, which is like hot button emotions, right? Like it's, we are feeling, we're very reactive and wise mind is finding a, a good balance between the two. So it's, it's being able to um, recognize the emotion and just kind of sit with it um, from a non-judgmental standpoint and not necessarily react, but just kind of sit with it and acknowledge that, okay, this is what's going on. Um, so, that one, uh, you know, DBT is is a bit more of a longer process because there's you know modules and things that they go through, but it, it's it's I pull from pieces of it too in in just my sessions. And can you talk a little bit about um, sliding scale therapy and maybe some suggestions you have for people who might not have access to therapy? Yeah, so sliding scale um, comes from so sliding scale fee. So it's a uh, financially um, cheaper, I guess, maybe approach or something that maybe somebody's offering on their caseload. Um, it's basically a, more, a, a cheaper um, or um, more accessible, I should say, way of, of getting therapy. So there's places that um, might offer this. So from in my practice, I have, um, an associate level therapist who's working towards her, um, supervision, her independent licensure. So I supervise her through that process. So because she is working towards her hours and not independent yet, we have her at a, um, sliding scale fee so that if others choose to still see a therapist and, you know, they can't financially afford, um, you know, somebody who's maybe experienced in years and specialized, then, you know, they can still see somebody, but it's going to be um, more in their price range. Um, there's, there's always places, whether it's through, um, whether it's a nonprofit or somewhere, you know, within, within your state of, of 
um, places that can offer free therapy um, or so many sessions, maybe for um, a reduced rate or free before maybe they'd offer, you know, that you'd start paying. Um, there's a few places I could be given Phoenix too that offer that just so that if somebody is going through a crisis, they're not going to be turned away. Um, there's always resources on online, but also on the phone, whether it's local or national, there's hotlines that you can talk to somebody with all of those, you know, resources too. I have list on list on my website. Um, but there is always someone out there that is willing to listen, um, and, um, yeah, I guess those would always be other ways too. if somebody maybe didn't financially have the means to go to therapy, there's ways that people can still access those resources. And what do you wish people knew about therapy? Um, yeah, you know, therapy is, is what you choose to make of it. Therapy, you know, the, they're, they're just as much your sessions, um, but it can be so beneficial. Um, you know, it's interesting too that, you know, as we talk about the stigma, what I want people to know is media as, as movies or media has portrayed therapists in the past, it's not walking into uh, the therapy office, dimly lit room, lay on a couch, have us talk about, you know, your childhood. That is not what it's like at all um because at times that can be you know a little bit intimidating i don't just ask you how you feel about that <laughs> you know we really we really uh get to know that person and treat the person as a whole so i i guess going back to just how beneficial it can be anybody and everybody i think could benefit from therapy at some point in time in their life whether it's if they've been through something maybe more traumatic or significant or if it's just because I want to learn more, you know, coping skills in this specific area of my life, or I just want to live as the best version of myself. Maybe there are traits that are holding me back from taking steps in my life that I want to get to, whether it's personal or career, what it might be. Therapy can be ways of just breaking down those barriers. Um, so if there's anything that I want people to know is it's so, so beneficial. It's so helpful. Yeah. And how did you come up with the name Empowering You? Yeah. So with Empowering You, I wanted the name to, I wanted, when people heard it, I wanted them to know, like, what my business stood for. So I wanted, like, I wanted a stronger name. And, um, you know, I remember going through all of the lists and thinking about names for my practice. And um, as cheesy as it sounds, I was, I was sleeping one night and I had, like, a hard time sleeping. And I woke up and I, I texted my husband and I said, Empowering You. It just hit me. I was like, that's, that's the name. It, it has to be the name. And, um, you know, he thought it was awesome. So I, that was, you know, empowering you therapy. Um, the name itself, empowerment or feeling empowered comes from having a sense of control. So whether that's a sense of control over my emotions, over a situation, over, you know, something feeling empowered is just, you feel strong. You feel, you feel good about things. So when people hear the name, I think they know, well, one, what to expect, but two, how I'm going to feel not only throughout this process, but at the end of the process, I'm going to feel empowered. So that's, that's how I came up with the name. How did you meet your husband? So we, we knew each other, um, in high school. 
so we've known each other for like over 10 years. So as I talked about small town, North Dakota, um, like basketball game, like a regional basketball game. And this was before text, like I didn't even have a cell phone, I think at the time, maybe I did, but it was like the T9, like 10 cents a text kind of thing. Um, but no, he got my MSN messenger, uh, ID and we talked through MSN, like AOL. That's, that's how we began talking. Um, but we didn't date at all throughout high school. We just, we had common friends. We had, um, you know, people in the same friend group and, we went to two different colleges, you know, a few hours apart, but we always stayed in touch. So whether it was me coming back to um, my hometown for the holidays or, again, just randomly seeing him somewhere, having those friends in common, we we just would always talk. We always kept in touch. So after grad school and I moved back to my hometown, he was living in a city uh, an hour away. And we just started talking again. And, of course, timing was, was right at that time. And um, started dating a year and a half later, we were engaged. Uh, six months later, we moved down to Phoenix. Six months after that, we were married in the Dominican. So, um, it was just easy. I think I'd known him for so long. It just, it was so easy. We didn't have that phase of like the awkward phase of getting to know each other because we just, we already had for so long. Wow. And did you know that you were going to end up dating him later on? Do you have a feeling? No, I really don't. Like, like his friends were like, oh, you were like, you were head over heels for her, like all the time. And and for myself, like he was always somebody that like, I did keep my eye on, but if somebody would have told me in high school, this is like, you're going to marry him. I I don't know if I would have believed them, (laughs) but I'm glad I did. He is such an amazing person. So (laughs) you had a destination wedding? We did in the in the Dominican Republic oh, wow. in Punta Cana on a beach, um, you know, because we both love to travel. So we had to have, you know, something, you know, destination. And it was beautiful. Perfect. Oh, so cool. And what were your 20s like? My 20s. Oh, boy. Um, up and down my, you know, my, my 20s were. Um, work hard, play hard. I, I know I started off and I talked a lot about, um, you know, the internships and schooling and stuff, but, um, you know, I also had fun, you know, growing up in, in Western small town, North Dakota, it was, you know, bonfires, late nights. I mean, we were, you know, wild at times, but my twenties, I felt like for me were, it was just the foundation was just being built. Um, you know, you look at, situations and things now where it's like, you know, why did I do that? Or why did that happen? Um, you know, it, it, it was teaching me a lesson at, at some point in time. So yeah, my twenties were, um, up and down in my early twenties. Um, I was in a relationship, a very toxic relationship with, um, with the guy and it was, it was very unhealthy Um, and I think that really taught me also because that was a time where I had actually started going to therapy and, and again, it opened my eyes to how beneficial this can be, but that was pivotal in the sense, I think where it really fueled my passion of wanting to help women, wanting to help people in these situations, because it was something that, 
um, not a lot of my friends knew about, you know, I didn't really want to talk about it or anything like that. So that happened in my earlier twenties. Um, but it really, it's formed me into the person I am today. So my twenties were school, fun, <laughs> friend. Um, but it, it, it was, it's a good foundation for my thirties. So. And what advice would you give your 20 year old self? The advice I'd give my 20 year old self would be, uh, to not have a timeline that everything isn't going to happen, you know, within this timeline, but if things don't happen, um, in the timeline that you've created, that's, that's okay. Just to let go of that. Um, I have the saying that, you know, it's the timelines that we create in our head that, that messes up things the most, because I think we place like at being when you're 20, even by the time you say, I'm, I'm 20, I'm 25, I should be here by now, or I should be in this career, be finished with school, be married, be kids, all of these things that these pressures that maybe not only ourselves, but society has placed on them. Um, these things aren't happening for a reason, right? You know, those, those times in the past where I might've beaten myself up over why am I not here yet? I wasn't, I wasn't ready to be there yet. So the advice I would give is to just let go of the timeline and not place so much emphasis on where you're supposed to be because you'll get there. And are there any questions that you wish I would have asked you? Um, I, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm not sure if there's any that I wish that you would ask me. Um, I, I just think that so many people can benefit from therapy. I think the question, you know, there too is everybody, including other therapists, therapists go to therapy, everybody's human. Um, maybe the question that I would say is just how important is self-care? Cause that is something I push so much in my practice. Um, not only for my clients, but for myself in order to show up that best version of yourself is you have to take care of yourself first. So self-care doesn't have to mean um, maybe things that we see in media. Like it doesn't have to be a bubble bath. It doesn't have to be a, a mask. It doesn't have to be getting your nails done. It can mean turning off your phone and just sitting in silence. It can mean getting outside and moving your body, going on a walk. It can mean taking a nap if you have had a crazy busy day and your body is telling you to slow down. Um, Self-care can be anything from journaling or doing gratitude exercises. So the importance of self-care is something I push so much with my clients. Um, and it's, it's important also for, for myself. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, where can people connect with you? So they can find me on Instagram. So it's at empoweringyou.therapy. Um, my website, uh, empoweringyoutherapy.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook and, um, they can find me there. They can book right through there. If they have any questions, anything like that, they can DM me, reach out to me, send me an email. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love if you can leave me a review on iTunes, please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.